We are not makers of history. We are made by history. So said Martin Luther King Jr. Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. It's been a heavy week of debate and discussion in the photo world, much of which surrounds the photographer Martin Parr. I've alluded to some of this in previous weeks, but if you want to find out more detail, just Google uh, Martin Parr at the moment and you're going to find out what I'm talking about. But at this time, I think it's important to, to reboot and to stop and think and listen. In the past week, I saw a tweet from Jenny Ricketts, the picture editor at The Observer magazine from 1996 to 2004. Jenny's a trustee at the RPS, the Royal Photographic Society, and she's also an advisory board member at Photo Island. She said this, No one is trying to shut down the debate. Far from it. But I'm not interested in libelous accusations against individuals, no matter what they have done. I simply prefer reasonable, rational discussions with a variety of people in the hope that we can arrive at parity for everyone. I think that I agree there with Jenny, and, and I thank her for, uh, for putting that down, because I think it's a, a very important point that we're at now, that we need to ensure that the photographic dialogue is open, that it is respectful, and also that it is informed and is not, uh, I suppose, uh, too strongly informed by dogma. So thank you, Jenny, for, um, for putting that out there. The backstory in life and history are so important to photography. The very moment that we press the shutter, we're creating a historical document of somebody, someplace, somewhere, something, an event. And that sort of relationship between photography and history, I don't think should either be forgotten or should be disrespected. We all have a backstory, and from that backstory come our stories, the, the, the things that we're interested in and that we want to photograph. And also comes from that backstory our uh, ability to show empathy and to communicate with people and to understand other people. So the backstory and history intrinsic to photography. I think in a way it's why I wanted to start with that uh, quote this week from Martin Luther King. Somebody who had a very similar relationship with history to King was John Lewis, the American politician and civil rights leader who sadly died um, in the past week. The importance of backstory to photography is key and the, the importance of backstory to John Lewis is hugely important and confirms that importance of personal history in the making of the man or woman. Lewis used to say that he liked the idea of good trouble and that you should make good trouble. And I think after all the discussion in the last week, that's exactly where I am with the whole process of speaking out at the right time and in the right way. This week, we welcome to What Does Photography Mean to You? Aaron Turner. Aaron was born in 1990 and is a photographer and educator currently based in Arkansas, USA, who uses photography to pursue personal stories of people of colour. 
in Arkansas and also in the Mississippi Deltas. He also uses a view camera to create still life studies on the topics of race, history, blackness as material and the role of the black artist. In 2014, Aaron founded a curatorial project titled Photographers of Colour to aggregate the history and contemporary work made by artists of colour working in lens-based media. He is currently developing the Centre for Photographers of Colour within the School of Art at the University of Arkansas in the form of a post-MFA research fellowship appointment with teaching duties. Aaron received his MA from Ohio University and an MFA from Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University and participated in the 2018 Light Work of Artists in Residence at Syracuse University. He is currently working on two books, Primal Sight and Monograph Black Alchemy, Volume 1 and 2. And I think he's certainly somebody that we need to listen to and hear from. What does photography mean to me? This is probably a question that I consider pretty often from many perspectives. And photography means a few things for me, simply because it represents so many things from others engaged with the medium also. But I think what's most important to me, more so than my individual experience, is those that have come before me and who I take inspiration from. And so with that being said, for me, photography is Roy DeCarava who in 1952 won a Guggenheim Fellowship, the first awarded to an African-American photographer. During his last interview in 1984, Ansel Adams simply said, Roy DeCarava is important. I've been reflecting on DeCarava for the last few years now, and I thought this was a good time to share a bit of his thinking with this audience. I want to take time to read two quotes from his 1996 retrospective catalog published by MoMA. This first quote is an excerpt from his Guggenheim proposal. I want to photograph Harlem through the Negro people. Morning, noon, night, at work, going to work, coming home from work, at play, in the streets, talking, kidding, laughing, in the home, in the playgrounds, in the schools, bars, stores, libraries, beauty parlors, churches, etc., I want to show the strength, the wisdom, the dignity of Negro people, not the famous and the well-known, but the unknown and unnamed, thus revealing the roots from which spring the greatness of all human beings. I do not want a documentary or a sociological statement. I want a creative expression, the kind of penetrating insight and understanding of Negroes, which I believe only a Negro photographer can interpret. I want to heighten the awareness of my people, and bring out our consciousness of greater knowledge of our heritage. Next, I want to read a quote by De Carava on his photograph titled Hallway. I think it really expresses the connection between memory and images. If I ever wanted to be marooned with one photograph, I think I would want to be marooned with Hallway, simply because it was one of my first photographs to break through a kind of literalness. It didn't break through, actually because the literalness is still there. But I found something else that is very strong and I linked it up with certain psychological aspect of my own. It's something that I had experienced and is in a way personal, autobiographical. It's about a hallway that I know I must have experienced as a child. Not just one hallway. It was all the hallways that I grew up in. They were poor. 
poor tenements, badly lit, narrow and confining. Hallways that always has something to do with the economics of building for poor people. The ambience, the light in this hallway was so personal, so individual, that any other kind of light would have not worked. It just brought back all those things that I had experienced as a child in those hallways. It was frightening. It was scary. It was spooky, as we would say when we were kids. And it was depressing. And yet, here I am, an adult, years and ages and ages later, looking at the same hallway and finding it beautiful. You can profit from a negative and make it a positive. As beautiful as the photograph is, the subject is not beautiful in the sense of living in it, but beauty is being alive. Strange that I should use that word living, but is it alive? Thank you, Aaron, for your contribution this week. And I also have to thank you for introducing me to the work of Roy Decorava. Uh, if you're not aware of uh, Roy's work, what I've done is put a link to a particularly good article that featured in the New Yorker magazine underneath this post on the United Nations of Photography website. And I've also put the picture, hallway, that uh, Aaron speaks about there. Uh, really great to hear not only about photographers you're not aware of, but to hear from someone like Aaron, uh, once again, focusing on that, uh, that backstory, that history that I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast as being so important. And actually, um, as I mentioned, I think last week or maybe the week before, I'm currently working on a book of transcriptions of all of the um, contributions we've had and also a number of the ones that are coming up over the coming year for a book that's going to be published in uh, hopefully March uh, 2021 of all of the uh, contributions to what does photography mean to me and uh, transcribing them, which is quite a task, uh, I have to say. But those themes and those uh, of backstory just keep coming back again and again as being so important and so relevant. And whilst I'm talking about backstory, um, just over a week or so ago now, um, it's very sad that the photographer Paul Fusco died. Uh, particular relevance to me, I suppose, because of the uh, Robert uh, Kennedy train pictures. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you will be aware of those images and the power that they contain. But for me, when I first saw them, which was actually um, quite a long time ago now at an exhibition at the Photographer's Gallery, where I bought a book of that work, um, which was one of the very first digital books um, that I came across, or digitally printed, I should say. I had to order it and they printed it on demand. I now say it's very collectible, but anyway, that's another thing altogether. But um, if you're not aware of those pictures, I think they tie into a lot of the things that we've been talking about this week. So on June the 5th, 1968, uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated while campaigning for the Democratic nomination for president and his death, which occurred only two months after the assassination of Martin Luther King, who we spoke about, who introduced this podcast uh, this week. Well, he didn't, but I did with his words. Uh, so this came as a terrible shock to to the United States as a nation. 
Now, three days later, a funeral train carried his coffin from New York to its final resting place at Arlington National Cemetery, and hundreds of thousands of people stood patiently in the heat as the train tra travelled slowly en route to Washington, D.C. Fusco was then a staff photographer for Look magazine, and Look magazine was a big picture magazine similar to Time or Life. And uh, he was on the train, and the images he made revealed the respect that the American people, both rich and poor, black and white, held for Robert Kennedy. A man who'd sort of come to symbolise social justice and a, and a hope for a better tomorrow. Fusco said that when he first got on the train that um, he was really thinking about what he was going to photograph when the train arrived in Washington. But as the journey started, to, I suppose the journey started and he looked from the train, he saw the people there and he realised something was happening and uh, he needed to document it. An incredible body of work that, as I say, if you're not aware of, uh, you really should check out. So sad to see Fusco um, leave us, but he's left us there with an incredible, uh, strong uh, body of work. It's interesting, uh, we're talking there about Fusco identifying the people watching the train going past, because I think one of the things I've noticed over the last couple of weeks is a lot of street photography coming out, um, minus people. As we, as we still seem to be in a situation of limbo and a lot of the um, metropolitan areas, uh, the cities around the world, have not returned to their full kind of capacity. And for street photographers are out there. And what I'm noticing is that a lot of them are being seduced now by architecture. They're, they're sort of stepping back and, and looking at the beauty, I suppose, in a way, of the studio in which they've been working for so long and focusing on people and interaction and movement. And now they're looking at shape and form and light and structure. And I think it's really interesting and something really, I suppose, to um, just keep an eye on as street photography develops over the coming months and years. Will those same photographers return back to the way they were working or will they find themselves in kind of a hybrid of the two areas? Whilst I'm talking about that, also something caught my eye uh, once again on social media just uh, a couple of days ago. And it was someone saying that they were fed up with hearing the term visual storytelling. I wonder if they've been reading my books or listening to this podcast. Um, but obviously visual storytelling is, is a little bit of a, a catchword, catchphrase that's um, developed, I suppose, um, and reached a point at which it's it's used quite regularly and i often use the term of as visual storyteller rather than photographer or visual storytelling as that process we've had a whole episode this week um dealing with history that was kind of deliberate and kind of not it just kind of fell into place in that way but it history is in itself the telling of stories and as I was saying at the beginning there, the moment that we're creating photographs, surely what we're creating are historical records and that are telling stories for people to come. I think one of the interesting parts of that, perhaps, is a, a, a fear that the photographer 
felt that his photography maybe was being taken away from him or being taken into an area that he didn't want to go or that he didn't feel comfortable in. And I'm sure we all feel like, like that at, at different times. The human race doesn't like change and we're, we're sort of living through a period now of extreme change. And that extreme change really does need to be documented. And what better way of documenting that with the, than with the visual image? So actually, um, I wonder what that person was actually saying. Were they saying that they felt that they didn't like the term and they wanted a different term for it? Or were they saying that actually that wasn't their understanding of photography? gets back to that whole thing that I was talking about and we have every week is well what does photography mean to you and what I'm, ident I'm identifying in the transcribing and I think what we heard this week from Aaron is that what family means to us is what photography means to us it's communication it's friendships it's relationships it's sharing but perhaps most of all it's evolving and it's developing and we kind of need to go with that i feel what we mustn't do is sort of get stuck into this whole thing of arguing all of the time that this thing is right and that is wrong what we must do is call out the wrongdoers and i'm really pleased to see that that's happening but as i said and as jenny said at the beginning we've really got to do that in a very mature and uh, reasoned way we mustn't get too angry, although it's very easy to do so. Anyway, I think that's it for this week. It's been, uh, as I say, uh, a pretty turbulent week in, in so many different ways. And even as I'm recording this podcast, there are big black clouds over the shed and rain is starting to appear on the windows. Let's hope it's that dark cloud moves off soon and uh, everything gets a little bit clearer. Let's just make sure that we all keep talking and that's most important of all, even more important than talking, is that we all keep listening. And that's listening, not just hearing. I know you've just spent 20 odd minutes listening to me go on. I hope it's been of some uh, interest, some use, maybe slightly inspirational, maybe thought provoking. You don't have to agree with me on everything. I really don't want you to. You really shouldn't do. But let's hope that we can all find a place where we can agree to disagree and agree to agree and maybe disagree to disagree. But anyway, whatever we end up doing, the most important thing of all, of course, as every week I say, is just to take care. Mm -hmm.